Hey there. You got a bunch of leads, but too swamped to make heads or tails out of them? When it comes to sealing the deal, you just throw out a number and hope for the best? Well, it's time to change that too. Welcome to the Million Dollar Pipeline Challenge, tailor-made for the home services and remodeling pros just like you. We're cutting through the clutter, showing you how to chat with your customers and nail your pitches and boost those conversions. No more guesswork, just solid strategies to grow your business. Tune in to transform your approach and let's build that million-dollar pipeline together. Text the word MONEY to 844-949-1984. That's the word MONEY to 844-949-1984 to begin your million-dollar pipeline challenge today. Welcome to Blue Collar BS, a podcast that busts the popular myth that we can't find good people, highlighting how the different generations of today, the boomers, Gen X, Millennials, and Gen Z are redefining work so that the industrial revolution that started in the U.S. stays in the U.S. Brad Herta, welcome back to this episode of Blue Collar BS. How you doing, my friend? It is a wonderful day in the neighborhood, Mr. Stephen Doyle. How was your car ride to the great Chicagoland area today from Detroit City? You know, it was pretty uh, uneventful, which is great. Uh, spent all of it in the rain. So, you know, quite fantastic. But as a drive goes, uneventful is great. White knuckles. Perfect. That is fantastic. my wife drove. My wife drove. So that was that was even better. I could answer phone calls, answer emails. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> I liked it. So so today we've got an amazing guest on our show. He is a local legend here in the home building construction industry. We have Mr. David Bellman, who is the current residing Wisconsin Builders Association Builder of the Year, past award winner of the Metropolitan Builders Association Builder of the Year, past president of the Builders Association, sits on the National Home Building Association Council for all sorts of things. Gets a lot of people upset on LinkedIn when he's talking about what a thousand dollars of lumber ten years ago looked like, or a thousand dollars of lumber last year. He likes making noise and wave waves. Thank you, Mr. David Bellman, for joining Blue Collar BS today. Well, thank you so much, Brad, and thank you, Stephen, for having me on the program. Uh, excited to talk about any and all things uh, construction, labor, and all of that. And when you were uh, mentioning uh, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, I had flashbacks. I thought you were going to start taking your shoes off and. Flipping them around. I was like, what is this, Mr. Rogers? Yeah, right. Put on my little Carnegie sweater. Yeah. I was like, okay, here we go. Let's go. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, David, tell us a little bit about, so pre-show, we were just talking about a little bit about your business. Can you just share with us a little bit? Well, wait, nope. Start with the first question. First question. First Uh question. Oh, you off script already? I'm already off script. Already going off script. Um, first question we always ask every guest, which generation do you most self-identify with? Uh, well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer, so I, I think I have a lot of the Gen X traits and, uh, my family and I were watching survivor the other day. It was millennials versus Gen X. And I'm like, always written for the Gen Xers. So yeah. <laughs> awesome. That is awesome. So going back to the question I was about to ask. So pre pre-show, we were talking a little bit about your business. So if you don't mind, share with us a little bit about who you are, what your business is, um, and we'll kind of take it from there. Sure. Yeah. So besides all, all the other stuff that you mentioned that I do, I have adult ADD apparently, and I'm involved in a lot of things, but um, <laughs> I do own a home building, a land development, and a real estate company. 
It's called Bellman Homes, and uh, it's a family business that was started. Uh, the the development in the real estate part, my father started in 1971, um, and then uh, he did that for a while, sold homes for um, a friend of his who was a builder. So he would develop the land, sell the lots and the houses for this gentleman, and this guy just built the homes. Well, in 81, the market was horrible. Interest rates were um, 17% or whatever. And, uh, his friend got out of the business, moved to Arizona. My dad said, well, I've spent a lot of time around him. I think I can build a house or two. So he started to do that. It took a little while. And then all of a sudden, um, Reagan kind of got in and opened things up and the market just took off and we were building a lot of houses and, uh, uh, out of the basement of our, our house. So when I say I grew up in the home building industry, I literally grew up in the home building industry in the basement of our house. That's awesome. That's a fun way to grow up. And that's why I know you have your um, your Home Building Hero podcast, right? That is very yep. informational, informative for anybody looking to uh, build a home. How did you get started down that path to even put that out there? Sure. So, um, you know, just kind of to tie back to the the first question about the, the building and, and growing up in that industry, um, you know, it was always kind of interesting because at the dinner table, those were the conversations you'd have, right? You know, you'd, you'd hear about this customer or this contractor not doing this, or this guy didn't show up, whatever. So, you know, a lot of the vernacular in the industry was just over the dinner table that, that I absorbed, you know, and, um, you know, so I started and I worked on the job sites from an early age and things like that. So I, you know, was you weren't illegally employed. Were you David ever <laughs> child <laughs> well, labor yeah, laws? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. I, I I do tell the story of being uh, nine years old after using a cuss word and uh, finding myself <laughs> on a job site, dropped off all by myself uh, in the middle of nowhere with no no ride, no phones back then, of course, and uh, uh, working and cleaning out houses. So yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I think you you go to jail today for that. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So anyway, I mean, I, I've, I've worked in a lot of the phases of, of the, the building operation. And then um, the podcast kind of came about a few years ago, you know, uh, actually a marketing company that I worked with, they, they were doing some kind of cutting edge things. And they're like, you know, guess kind of like, dude, you got to have a podcast. I'm like, I, I don't even know what that is. What is that? <laughs> and he's like, no, you, you just record these, you know, record audio and post it and people listen to it and stuff. So I was like, okay. So I recorded a couple of podcasts. I'd never even listened to a podcast, to be honest with you. And I recorded a couple and um, we, we, you know, we kind of came up with a plan for, you know, creating a, a lot of useful content for people and nobody was using or filling that space. And so uh, I kind of filled that space and it, it just, it's led to a lot of opportunities and I've stayed consistent with, with it. Um, it's, it's hard after three years of doing it, trying to be fresh and new all the time, but uh, yeah, it's been fun and uh, I've enjoyed doing it. And I was just on one from Australia of all places, uh, just, uh, recently. So pretty cool stuff. Well, the fed is giving you plenty to talk about as of recently. Right. So ironically, you know, as you grew up 17% interest rates, now we're climbing just over five and it's like, this guy is falling. Hold on time out. No, 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 no. Yeah. We don't know what this guy is falling is all about yet. Yeah. I saw someone post today. Um, someone was sharing a picture of a home for sale and they're like, oh my gosh, why would you buy right now? The interest rates are so high. And I was like, dude, you have no clue what high is. That is not high. No, we are still historically low. Come on. Yeah. Extremely low. I still will not refinance because I'm at three, seven, five. 
Yeah. Now spoiled and, um, you know, used to a certain thing. Yes. But uh, yep. high historically, heck no, it's still a good rate. You know, one of the things that we talk about on the show is the generations and the, we can't find good people. And you've had to go through that, you know, being part of a family business, you may have had built in labor with family members or relatives and things like that. But as you have grown and taken over the business, what are you seeing across the generations from a, from an ability to hire different styles of work ethics? What have you, what have you seen as you've grown up in the industry of, of change? Yeah. I mean, it. uh, the, our workforce from a construction industry. I mean, when we had the great recession, that was, you know, you always talk about like great resets. Well, that was a huge reset for our industry because we lost about half our workforce. We had guys that were skilled finished carpenters. Like we had a, two guys across the street from our office building lived in this apartment, really good finished carpenters. They didn't have enough work. So they went into the manufacturing business, never came back. You don't just learn that skill overnight. It's lost when they leave. And so we've still been struggling for the last six, seven years post all this stuff uh, to, to fill those positions. And the other problem we had is we have kids that are uh, in high school and the high schools were struggling to make their budgets. They cut their tech program. So you have like a decade worth of kids that haven't been exposed a lot to tech, tech schools, programs, trades, whatever. And then you have the parents going, you know, hey, go to college. You got to go to college to be successful. And then, of course, you have the generation of kids that grew up on the cell phone and the smartphone. And so there's just not a lot of new blood coming into the industry. So that's one of the challenges. And then, you know, just as a business owner, uh, there's a huge challenge in trying to find the right people and fit the right person to the job. And luckily, there's a lot more knowledge out there and a lot more tools than I remember when I first started. You know, I mean, I do personality tests of anybody that I hire for my own company. And I have very specific interview questions I ask. I ask questions to determine if they're entitled or not. Um, so I, I, I dive pretty deeply because it takes me a long time to hire somebody. But if I'm going to hire somebody, I really want to make sure that they're a good fit. And um, I don't know that you can do that as much in this current labor crunch market, but uh, you know, I still believe in the, the hire slow and, and fire fast. Yeah. I mean, the cost of hire, the cost of hiring is ridiculously expensive, right? Because if yes. you don't have, if you don't have everything built for somebody with zero knowledge to come in and be successful and you got to do a lot of on the job training or get them, they, they don't know anything about an industry or, you know, they might be the right fit but not the knowledge side of it. Cause you can teach that it yeah. takes time and you got to make sure if you're going to invest those dollars and energy, but there's a reward at the end of it for both parties. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe in a couple of things, obviously, you know, I, I take that longer process for hiring, but I also believe that, you know um, uh, you have to invest in some training and, and that's really at the core of it is building some systems uh, so that when you bring somebody and you have some pieces for them right away that they can take on and they can learn and it, it, it quickens the learning curve if you have a, a, a decent training program put together. Now, um, it's different for construction as far as the trades, because I don't sit there and go out in the job site and say, this is how you miter a corner. <laughs> we don't do that. <laughs> I'm talking it, literally internally in our office. So how do you, you know, bring in somebody and, and get them up to speed? And, um, you know, I put a lot of time in, in our sales training program and things like that. I was actually able, because I couldn't find salespeople for the longest time. So instead of like bringing in a realtor that had 25 years of experience, 
that I could never crack, that I could never get them to listen to me because they always knew more than I did. <laughs> I started hiring kids out of tech school, designers and um, uh, novice real estate students that hadn't even gotten their license yet. And I found that I was much more effective with them because I could show them our way of doing things. And I had a training program and I could get somebody that was 24 years old that's never sold a house in their life to be selling a house within two to three months. So I found that to be more effective. So sometimes you have to figure out a niche and a way to approach it. And so that's kind of what I did. And that was very successful for me for, for quite a while. You hit on something right there where when we talk to a lot of people, they're so stuck in their way, but you found a different way, i.e., hey, this way isn't working. I yep. way, Meaning I'm going to hire somebody with so much experience. I'm going to do a paradigm shift. I'm going to think about how can we do this differently and hire somebody that has less experience that we can train that one wants to be trained, but two, if you're, are you using those personality assessments while you're Oh, absolutely. Higher, right? Yeah. So that's the other part of it is, you know, well, one, I would obviously find somebody younger that was just willing to learn and they wanted sort of the mentorship piece um, and they wanted the training. And then all of a sudden they see a little bit of success and they're like, wow, this is really working. And they'd almost double down on it. And so there was always sort of this like adoption period where I was like, okay, they're not sure, not sure. And all of a sudden then they would get that little, you know, success. And then all of a sudden they just shoot up and would be pretty successful. And uh, so, and so I enjoyed that, but uh, the other part of it is the personality. And I started to learn like, okay, I'm not going to go after the super gregarious person necessarily. I would go for the person that's a little bit more of the, what we call the steady personality where I, I lay it out from, this is the process we're going to do. This is the way, this is the things I want you to do in this order. And they would do that. And those, even though they're not like the, the person that you would maybe gravitate to immediately, they just kept at it. And because I think, especially in real estate, people don't buy a house the, the you know, maybe a little bit now on the existing market, but people don't normally buy a house the next day. Right. <laughs> right. Especially build a house This sometimes takes two years for somebody to go through this whole process uh, before they're ready and able to buy that house. So you have to have people that are what I call farmers instead of hunters. And so that's kind of what I did is I'm like, I want you to be a farmer. You're going to plant seeds. You're going to water those seeds. And you're going to take care of them. Um, and over time, you're going to have a lot of sales and you, you'll you never go hungry when you're a farmer. You're going after that SISC category of folks that are absolutely. Um, yep. They want the logic. They want to learn. They want to be part of that. And, you know, that's, has that created a lot of loyalty for you as well? In your organization? Yeah. I mean, I think when, you know, it's a, it's a combination of things. Cause when you get the right people in the right fit, uh, you're not moving people around all the time. Um, the other thing that I did for a loyalty, cause sales was so hard to get. And um, what I was finding too, is when, you know, when I was kind of going through this paradigm shift with the salespeople um, I was finding people really well. I, I developed a way to kind of attract people to come to the company, then I would train them. And then all of a sudden my competitors would steal them. Right. And I was getting frustrated because I'm like, okay, just get this person up and running. They're successful. And then my competitor would come in and be like, what are they paying you? I'll pay you a little more. Um, and so, so you were like the Montreal Expos if you're a baseball yeah, guy. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, it's like, yeah, baseball free agency, right? You know, you, you, you grow the talent for four years or you know, in, in this industry, maybe two, and then somebody tries to steal it. So what we did is we actually changed our comp compensation program, our comp program. And what I did is um, I said, okay, let, let's do this. So I said, I'm going to, I'm going to really invest in you. I'm going to give you a partial salary and then a, you know, salary plus. 
So uh, most of my competitors, as soon as there's salary involved, they're like, I'm out. Okay, whatever. So that's what I did is I'm like, if I'm going to invest in this person, that's fine. I will pay them a salary because I know I can get them up and running within six months. And of course, there was a deal with them. It's like, okay, you know, if you're you're like six, eight months into this and you haven't sold anything, then we're going to have to have a pretty difficult conversation. And it's going to be kind of the come to Jesus moment in, in the next, you know, so much time. But um, it, it resulted in huge loyalty. I didn't lose anybody after that. And I could even double down further on the time investment with them and know that they're going to stick around. And then they're not panicked either. So like when a customer comes up, like you can smell a desperate salesperson from two <laughs> miles away, right? You know, totally. they just come waddling out and it's just, I, I, I picture the, the old Cadillac salesperson with the plaid pants and he's, you know, walking <laughs> out and, you know, I won't Got let you leave you the lot without a deal. Like we don't, nobody wants that. Nobody wants to buy anything like that. So, so we, you know, they're not desperate. It's just like, okay, Hey, if we need two more meetings to, to make you comfortable, then we need two more meetings. Let's do this. So, so as you've gone through this, and I guess I'm going to ask this question from a generational perspective as you, and I don't know how many years ago you started attracting the younger talent, 24, 25, but in today's world, 25 would be that Gen Z you get to that 28, 29. That's going to be the younger millennial. And, and those folks are getting kind of uh, screwed in the marketplace and lumped into some of that older millennial behaviors. You've created opportunity. You've showed them a path. You've invested in them. You've given them expectations and lo and behold, they stay. Isn't that weird? Yeah. How that works. Yeah. I mean, most, most of the time they do. Now, the one problem that you have with millennials, and I've, I've had a couple really amazing ones and I've, I like them. I get along with millennials very well. Um, but the, the issue that I've had with them after that is they love the company. And, and when they have left they're they're almost crying when they walk out the door. Uh, but you know, they also tend to have a little bit of wanderlust and I haven't figured out how to, how to train that one yet, but I, I had a marketing gal that was phenomenal and I uh, kind of got her right out of school and, and, and she was amazing. And then all of a sudden one day she just walked in my office and was like, yeah, um, I, I'm leaving. I'm traveling the world. <laughs> and they <laughs> saved up some money and traveled for a year and a half, went all over the whole country in an RV and then uh, moved over to Carolina. And nothing that I did, nothing we did wrong. They just all of a sudden said, you know, we want to pick up and see the world. And I mean, God bless her. And she's doing really well at her new job too. But you know, those things sometimes with millennials, you know, kind of happen and it's a real thing. And I've seen it happen several times. And another really good salesperson's down in Arizona now um, just said, I want a warmer climate. And um, almost it seemed like overnight kind of put their house up for sale and move down there, work oh, from home how, now. That's how you start the Bellman Southwest developments. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it would, you could build year round on there. That's kind of nice. <laughs> as well, as this market. It, it also creates its own problems too, year round, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it's uh, uh, my parents had a house down in Arizona, so uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish uh, the summer uh, <laughs> we're sending me down there when it's 120 right. degrees and different kind of weather delays. Yeah. Right. Instead yep. of the rain, all the rain and when we've had up here this spring delay, 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 you yeah. know, the, the baking sunshine in 135, 140 degrees on a roof. Yeah. Sorry. Not going to be, yeah, I don't want to fly. Yeah, I'm sorry. Out. I'm, out. <laughs> I'm out. Been there, done that. It's a question I have. Cause you said you had mentioned also earlier, you it's a family, you, it's family business, general multi-generation family business. So what have you found to be one of the greatest things about being a multi-generation family business for you? Great things. Um, I mean, obviously having the, 
the example of my father and being able to, to passively learn from him. Um, the one thing about my father, I mean, he was obviously very good at what he did, but uh, he didn't really like the office. He didn't like the office part of the job. He liked to be out on the job site. So um, I ended up kind of naturally grifting into being the person that took care of the office. Um, and so I, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of stuff laid out or a lot of systems or anything um, training. Um, and my dad was not very good at hiring. He was very good at building homes, but I look back at some of the people we've hired over the years when, when he hired them and I'm like, man, how did we bring this person in? So, I mean, I definitely became more intentional about all that stuff, but uh, you know, the knowledge of the construction and just the, some of the, the old fashioned, you know, he was part of the greatest generation and do what you say, you know, and, and, you know, kind of the promise, good, deliver great, um, you know, just be a man of your word kind of thing. That was, those were great lessons and stuff that stuck with me. The challenge that I had in, in a family business is that um, we did have a family business. It was, it was difficult because um, when you're trying to grow the business or trying to adapt it and you have people stuck in certain old ways of doing things, or you have people that are, well, my name is on this, so I can get away with this and I can get away with that um, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I eventually, as my father was phasing out, I had to have some very difficult moments and uh, um, uh, Bellman Homes, although I, you know, still an original Bellman that owns it. Um, I'm, I'm the only Bellman uh, in the company at this point. And, and we run this like a business now. And, um, you know, it's a lot easier. Honestly, it's easier every day going into work when, when, when you treat it like a business um, and, and there's expectations, things like that. And you don't have to dance around weird family dynamics and stuff like that. So it makes um, Christmas and Thanksgiving so much more fun when it's that way, doesn't it? Absolutely. Well, yes and no. I mean, uh, <laughs> going through what I went through, it did not make Christmas and Thanksgiving very fun for a I'm, while. I'm, through that. Today, today, how you're running it as a, as yeah, the business, I mean, as expectations. Nice works at the door now, you know? So, um, as, as people have, uh, kind of gotten over that, it's gotten a lot better, but definitely, uh, uh, there, there's a couple of kind of tense Christmases and, and Thanksgivings we'll say. Yeah. We'll, we'll bypass that for this show. Exactly. <laughs> All right, sounds um, good. Yeah. We're not going to go there. So what are, what are some of the biggest concerns you see today with, with the industry, um, and its survival going forward? Yeah, there's uh, the my my number one worst enemy is regulation, and um, I'm constantly beating the drum about we're overregulated. Um, the regulation costs on a home are ridiculous. It's over ninety four thousand dollars that adds to the cost of a new home because of local, state, and federal regulation. I look at especially these younger generations, and I feel terrible for them because you know back in the fifties, you could buy a home here in Wisconsin for about double your income. And, and now we're at nine and a half times your, your average income here in the state to afford a new home. And that's why you're seeing people working two jobs, husband, the wife work, um, they have side hustles and um, they can still barely afford a home. And part of it is the regulatory environment and all the regulation. I just found out uh, yesterday, or they announced that they're creating some sort of environmental justice agency. Uh, I can only imagine <laughs> what that is going to do to the cost of a home. Um, I'm, I'm going to be, uh, emailing all my elected officials very soon to say, put an end to this. It just never ends. And, and we have to get government out of the way if we want to build more homes, plain and simple. What about on the people side? Where do you see the biggest obstacle there? 
Well, uh, on the people side, it's, it's, it's a, a cultural generational shift into uh, getting people back to the mentality that I made this, I built this with my own hands and I'm proud of it. And we've lost that, you know, to some degree. And, you know, everyone wants to make a TikTok video and, and be YouTube famous and they're not actually physically making anything. So being able to be like, Hey, I built this doghouse and I built this, this playhouse for my kids or whatever. And, and now I can make something and I have a, a tangible skill. That's what we got to get back to is, is creating that pride in making things and um, saying, it's okay to work with your hands and Hey, guess what? You can get in the construction industry right now and probably start making 50 to $60,000 a year very quickly and have no debt as opposed to going to college and having a hundred, $120,000 in debt and, and maybe not even being super employable yet. So what advice would you have for the young kids coming out of high school right now? Those that, you know, are kind of looking for their next thing that realize college isn't the right thing. Yeah. Well, the first thing is um, to, to, to try things, be willing to try something, consider the trades because there's a, a wealth of opportunity I was just doing some research for, for my podcast, and um, they said that by 2026, there's going to be 600,000 job openings in the construction industry. So there's ample opportunity for work. Uh, yes, you have to work with your hands. Some jobs, you have to work outside a bit, but at the same time, though the wages are great. There's a lot of freedom with that. Um, and you can, you have to understand too, like whatever you're starting out with right now is not where you're going to end up. And a lot of that younger generation doesn't get that they're, they're used to, I post something, I get a, like, I do this, I get something right away where there's a little bit of a delayed gratification. But if you learn this skill and you know, let's say learn how to plumb, and then you can teach other people how to plumb, and then you can own a plumbing business. And then all of a sudden you can be, you know, you could be a millionaire owning, you know, um, a contracting firm and, but you got to have that skill and then you got to, you know, build onto it. It's not uh, instant gratification, but it's, it's, uh, I have uh, a younger guy in the, the trades, a carpenter. He was working for a guy. We helped him set up his business so that he could be, um, on his own. And I mean, he just had a baby. They bought a, a, a pretty decent house. He owns a brand new truck and, um, can afford all that stuff. And he's got very little debt. It's a good way to live. There's some massive opportunity. So 600,000 jobs. That is, that is insane of what is going to happen. And my guess is that number is understated. It it probably is. And the other thing I saw, um, there was a study too, with this uh, by the national association of home builders. And they said that the um, average uh, wage per hour in the construction industry, as opposed to the other sectors is almost 10% higher. So, you know, if you think about it as a young person, if you can make 10% more per hour, you know, you can end up with a lot more money at the end of the year. That might be $5,000 more a year in your pocketbook. Well, and over lifetime earnings as well, right? So that's yep. the other piece to it. And I know I've got a couple remodeling clients, framing clients in my portfolio, and they struggle with the, they struggle with some of those wages, but it's like, no, look, you can make this happen if you set the expectations and go forward the, the days of, well, you start here, you're a grunt for five, six years. Now let's, let's work on a results-based activity. So, you know, if a kid can go out and if he can start framing, you know, all the sidewalls on his own and he can get it done in whatever compared to budget timeframe, if it's 1.0 or 1.2 times budget, pay him appropriately, right? 
re- sure. reward them for the results, not just time and seat. Cause yeah. And you may have to pay more. Like if you're, especially anything in skilled trade, you're probably going to have to pay a little more. And the hard part for a lot of these guys that I've seen too, is some of them don't want to take out that younger person because they don't have to slow down what they're doing. They're already busy and they don't, they don't have the other pieces in place in their business where they can pull themselves out of, out of it and, and spend time with those people. But when you do that, when you're able to take a younger person and spend a little time with them, you know, you do get the loyalty and you may get somebody that's one of your best employees two years down the road and um, you know, you're going to be well rewarded for it. So it, again, it's that short-term thinking and right. long-term gain thing right. all over again. Create the deeper pond. Yep. Right. Absolutely. Everybody benefits because you know, what goes wrong comes around. I know I, in my career path in the manufacturing sector, I know I've had folks that, you know, started, worked with us for a while, they left and, and then they came back and they came back yep. and they were, they went out and had to go get what they needed to do and get that anger or frustration or whatever it was out of their system to learn that it was, Oh, it's not so bad. Yeah. We, we had a little mantra for a little while here. The grass was a nice greener. And cause we, we had that, like I said, with that example, with the salespeople, I had a bunch of them leave to go to different builders and almost to a T you could almost set your calendar to three to four months later. And they'd be contacting back like, Hey, can I come back? And <laughs> kind of like, dude, you, you know, you left me in the lurch. And so most of the time it was, in fact, I've, I think every single time it was a no for me, but you know, they just think, well, this guy's got this hot thing. I can sell that. And it's like, again, if, if you're not doing it the right way, it doesn't matter where you go, you know? So I think people have to kind of learn that too. And, and they got to be a little patient. You know, sometimes you're not going to get that exact promotion, that spot that you want right away. And uh, you, you'll, it, you'll get there and you'll earn it. And, and if you stay at a place longer, I think it can be very worthwhile. You also do a lot of other things in your busy. I mean, I don't know how you sleep, but that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> I sleep really good because I'm just, I'm wiped by the end of the day. So, so how did you get started with Operation Finally Home, David? Um, so Operation Finally Home, what it is, um, is, you know, we build a, a mortgage-free home for a wounded combat veteran and they get it free of charge. And so I got involved with that. Um, I was at an international builder show in Las Vegas. And uh, uh, one of my, my vendors said, hey, I want to take you to a concert. Uh, went to this concert. And it was a fundraiser for this organization. And long story short, they had a veteran there. Uh, he lost his legs in an IED accident. Um, a very tragic story. This guy, all he wanted to do is be a soldier his whole life. Um, so imagine having one thing you knew you wanted to do and you knew you were good at, and then physically being unable to do it. And then also on top of that, then having to go home um, handicapped, but then also have six kids at home and figure out how am I going to take care of my family? And so that's what this, this gentleman had to deal with and heard the story. And then Operation Finally Home found him, gave him a brand new mortgage-free home, and it just totally changed his life. And uh, then they had him come out on stage and he had uh, metal legs, uh, uh, you know, and he came out in shorts and he had his USA shirt on and he was getting the crowd all pumped up. And it was, it was just really a moving moment. And I was like, wow, this would be really cool. Like, I'd, I'd love to be a part of this. So, um, you know, spent about a year, year and a half thinking about how could we do this? And an opportunity came up and uh, uh, I was the only person in Wisconsin that knew about it. So I jumped in right away and uh, uh, said, yes, I'll, I'll build one of these. And uh, uh, I had a two and a half car ride, two and a half hour car ride home that day after I committed to doing this. And I, I spent a good portion of that car ride going, what did I just do? Oh my gosh, am I insane? 
Uh, but you know, I told everybody the story. I told everybody why I wanted to do it. And, um, all of a sudden there was a lot of people helping me and, um, it became a lot easier and we did our first one and it was such a great experience. We decided to do another one and six homes later, we're looking at start number seven near in the near future. Congratulations on that. That is spectacular. I know I, I live very close to some of the communities upon which you've put some of those homes. And, uh, I know it's much appreciated by those communities and by those individuals. Yeah. There's, uh, there's never enough that we can do to thank our, our soldiers, especially the ones that were put in harm's way and, and injured. Um, and unfortunately, again, back to the government, they don't always take care of these folks the way they should. And, um, you know, we can always do more for them. Absolutely. Kudos to you and your team for doing that. And that's my pleasure. We, we, we appreciate it. And we couldn't do it without a lot of other people uh, supporting, whether it's coming to events or small donations. We get a lot of donations at 10, $20 and Believe it or not, that that does make a huge difference. So it, every little bit helps. And um, yeah, we just, uh, you know, take everything we can and, and make it work. And uh, uh, yeah, and then we have some some larger donations that come in that help as well. And it's, uh, uh, we utilize everything as best we can. Sometimes we can take a dollar and almost triple it uh, between the donations and the labor that we get donated. Um, we, we have a really high utilization rate there, which is pretty exciting. So when people give to it, it's nice because they know that it's going to, it's not going to admin, you know, only a very, very small portion. So David, one of the other things that we, you had highlighted was about, you know, when, when we're hiring, but what we didn't talk about was hiring for leadership. Can you elaborate a little bit on what you do in your team for hiring for leadership? You know, one of the things that, um, you know, I'm passionate about is leadership. I've served a lot with the Builders Association, local, state, and national level. Um, so, uh, you know, leadership's important because, um, you know, not everybody has it. You can, you can learn to become a better leader, but a lot of it's really in the self-development field as well. So um, I, I did write a book. It's called Leadership Growth Hacks. It's a, uh, it's a book that you can get on Amazon if you're interested. And um, it's, it's especially written for, for younger folks, a lot of the people we were talking about earlier, and just some skills on how you can develop your leadership skills. And, um, a lot of it is, is, uh, you know, self-improvement and within the mind. And so focusing on who you want to be and what kind of person you want to be, not, not who you are now, but where you want to go and what kind of person do I need to be, or what are the traits that I need to have in order to be this ideal person and, and, and putting uh, time and effort and conscious uh, behavior behind that. And if you can do that, uh, you can, you can achieve a lot. And that's really, I had a pretty big jump in my career when I really started to focus on those things and um, setting a bigger vision for yourself. Um, so, you know, um, one of my early visions was I wanted to be a leader in the housing industry. And so, you know, I worked on, I worked on that. How do I become a leader in the housing industry? Uh, it didn't happen overnight. It took, took a lot of work and, you know, it's kind of like setting, setting a big picture goal for yourself. It's kind of like, who do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, but having a very crystal clear picture of that. What is the one, if you said there was one key leadership trait that your employees have, what would you say it is? Um, it's hard to say one. I would say there's probably two. It's one is accountability and just being able to say, hey, I'm going to, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to stick to it. Uh, but I, the other thing that I really think is really important with leadership is, is gratitude and just being grateful uh, for those things. Because, you know, when you're a leader, you have to serve and you have to be willing to give. And, and, and serve in order to get back. And so I think that's, 
I, I think those are really the two really key, key components uh, in my mind for leadership. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And it's um, on the younger side that that millennial, as we're seeing this transition of, of the generational differences, right? That millennial leader being able to be accountable and grateful is one of those areas that we, as I work with clients, it's a, it's a struggle because it's not all touchy feely. It's all not, it's not all kumbaya. It, there's there, you got to get results. And yeah, no, you need results and it. You know, sometimes the gratitude thing just doesn't, you know, especially for millennials again, you know, you, you go back to the, well, they got a trophy for everything and all that, where, you know, the older generations, you had to kind of earn it, you know, and you have to learn from your failures too, you know? And if, I think sometimes when we coddle people too much, um, they don't really ever learn from their failures. So that's, I think that's an important trait that sometimes gets lost, but, but the gratitude thing I think is huge because, you know, there are going to be tough days, like you said, in bad days. And in order to get through those, sometimes you got to just focus on, well, what did go right? You know, cause you can have a day where it was really bad, but at the end of the day, there's still something good that happened to your life. You still have a roof over your head, or maybe you had a nice meal um, or you got to you know, enjoy your favorite activity with, with your spouse or whatever it is. Those are things to be grateful for too. And we always sometimes overlook those deep thoughts. (laughs) Totally deep thoughts. Totally deep thoughts. David, I want to thank you so much for coming onto the show, sharing all the different experiences that you have in the building industry, whether it's the book, it's the podcast, it's your business, it's with the Home Builders Association. Truly phenomenal. And so much to think about when we're trying to look at hiring people when we continuously say we can't find good people. Absolutely. Well, it's been my pleasure. I appreciate the uh, the opportunity to talk to you guys and uh, have some blue collar BS going on here. <laughs> so, how if somebody wants to get a hold of you or find you, um, yeah, you're not you're not you're not uh, recluse stuck in a closet anywhere, so it shouldn't be very hard to find you or get in contact. But <laughs> yeah, I'm not how people come up like Taliban, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, no, uh, yeah, you can get a hold of me a couple of different ways. I mean, uh, I, I'm very active on LinkedIn, so you can look me up. Just David Bellman. B-E-L-M-A-N uh, for the spelling and the last name. Um, so you can find me there. Uh, you can always email me. Just It's my name. So David at bellmanhomes.com. If you want to get me there, uh, you can look up the Home Building Hero podcast, or if you're interested in uh, the Leadership Growth Hacks book, just look that up on Amazon. It's kind of, kind of a white cover with a lot of little icons and an arrow on it. Uh, you'll recognize it and uh, check it out. Again, thank you so much. Thank you for what you do for the industry and bringing awareness. And, and helping everybody understand what the impact is from the regulatory piece and, and what's been happening over this last 18 months with uh, labor and tariffs and all those fun things. And um, you're a leader in that space and, and it's much appreciated. So thank you. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Blue Collar BS brought to you by Vision Forward Business Solutions and Professional Business Coaching Inc. If you'd like to learn more on today's topic, just reach out to Steve Doyle or myself, Brad Herta. Please like, share, rate, and review this show as feedback is the only way we can get better. Let's keep blue-collar businesses strong for generations to come.